Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. We all have generational patterns in our family history that we've seen, we've heard, and we've inherited. And some are really healthy and holy. Like maybe in your family, you were taught commitment and responsibility. You saw a great relationship or a great marriage. Maybe your parents were great parents to you and you wanna model that, you wanna carry that into your story. That should be celebrated. But we also have unhealthy and unholy things in our generational family patterns that should be confronted. And it's why you and I are having a conversation to start the year. And it's why at Active Church, we're starting the year talking about how we can break the cycle. And so if you're watching or listening for the first time today, my name is Mike. I serve as the lead pastor and I'm so glad that you're here. And we're choosing to break the cycle because we don't want to carry past mistakes into our present reality and have it influence our future. And and the reality of all of this is that we're not looking to blame our families. We're not looking to bash our generational history. We're just looking to take ownership of our story so that we can tell a better story and not repeat the mistakes of the past. And so again, so glad that you're here. We began this conversation three weeks ago and we learned that we can begin to break the cycle when we say yes to God. Then two weeks ago, we talked about how we can break the cycle of emotional pain. And then last week, we talked about how we can break the cycle of addiction, whether it's in us or it's in somebody that we love that's around us. Today, I wanna talk about something that affects all of us, something that we don't like, but we often participate in, and that is division. Doesn't it feel like we are more divided than we've ever been? Now, I don't know if that's true. I think that we see it more often. We have access to people. We see it happening in real time. But what I do know to be true is I don't think we intend on being divided. I don't think we wake up in the morning going, who could I hate? today. But often what we find ourselves doing is placing ourselves in this category and them in that category. It's you against me. It's us versus them. It's their perspective versus my perspective. And division isn't something that we like, but it's easy to fall into. And we get divided over everything, right? We get divided over politics. We get divided over ethnicity and background, how somebody looks and where they come from. And if they should be allowed to be here, we fight over that. We get divided over the status of somebody, the financial status, the relational status, maybe even perhaps the influential status. We get divided over family decisions, friendship decisions. We even get divided over silly things like sports. And I am a sports guy and I love sports, but I have seen people fight at sports stadiums because their team won or lost, right? Like we get divided over Dodgers or Angels or Rams or 49ers. We fight over that stuff and it's ridiculous. And we even fight over ridiculous things like food. Like should pineapple really be on pizza? The answer is no. And if you disagree with me, I'll meet you outside, (laughs) right? We divide over everything. This list is really long. And we find ourselves starting to cross the line of division when we say things like, I just don't understand why they're doing that. And then we hold a posture of aggression against them. Or we may say something like, it doesn't make sense to me why they're behaving that way. And then we find ourselves with tension with that group. So what do we do 
When it comes to division, how do we break the cycle of division? Now, what I talk about today and what we're going to discuss is not going to resolve the division of the entire world or our nation or our city or maybe even the, the situations in your family and in your world. But what I am going to suggest today is that we can hold a different posture, that we can actually approach each other in a more humble way, that we actually can choose to tell a better story and we can surrender to the way of Jesus because he lived in a divided world and he confronted division, not by causing more division. He confronted division with grace, with compassion and with peace and invited people to step into a new story, to step into the kingdom of God. And I wanna talk about what he did. And then I wanna invite you to do the same thing. So if you have a Bible with you or the Bible app on your phone, would you turn to the letter that John writes in the New Testament? And we're gonna be in John chapter 13, starting in verse one. And as you're turning there, I wanna set the scene for you, but not just this moment, I wanna set the cultural scene for you because Jesus lived in a very similar world that you and I live in. They are divided, they don't like each other, everybody's categorized. There's a lot of hate, there's a lot of rage, there's a lot of anger. In the Roman world, this was their goal, to divide everybody. In fact, they had a social ladder and they gave it a name. The social ladder was called cursus honorum, or the race for honor. And the goal of life was to climb that ladder and that was difficult. It was easy to actually fall off the ladder. And if you fell off the ladder, if you lost social status, they would call it in the Roman world, they would call it humility or being humbled. And that was embarrassing and shameful for them. Now at the top of this social ladder were the royals, the Senate and the equestrians. The royals at the very top of the ladder were the emperors. These were the rulers of the time. And these people saw themselves as gods in human form. Underneath the royals were the people in the Senate. This was 600 men who could call all of the shots and they were really wealthy. They had all of the resource. And then underneath the Senate were the equestrians. And they were equestrians because they bought and sold horses. And they were known for the products that they had and the things that they owned. And each of these groups were determined by what they looked like. They were determined by what they wore. They were determined by what they drove or the camel in that time that they rode. These people were defined and their status was defined by the things that they held in their hands. Now, the interesting thing was is that this only represented 2% of the population. The rest of the world in the Roman time fell into the second half of the social ladder. And this social ladder was called personas mediocribus, or the mediocre and the less than. And this part of the social ladder included the citizens, the freedmen, and the slaves. The citizens were men and women who could vote and own land. They weren't in the same class as those above them, but they were somebody that could buy and sell and they could vote. And so they were comfortable in their status. The freedmen, they, they were free, but they didn't have any rights. And then get this, they were defined by their skin color and the nation that they came from. That determined if they were worthy or not. And then there were the slaves. The slaves were just products. They were to obey and surrender to their masters. They were property, not people. 
And Jesus actually addresses this social ladder in that time. He confronts it. And he said something really powerful about it. And Matthew, who spent three years with Jesus, wrote it down. Jesus, seeing what was happening around him, experiencing it, learning about it, Jesus said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were the people who didn't follow God, that was the title that they were given in that time, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you, and their high officials exercise authority over you. What Jesus is saying here is that these people with power They want more power. And the way that they get more power is by crushing you and dominating you and dismissing you and pushing you down. And this was the world that they lived in. This is what Rome wanted. They wanted to separate people because they wanted more power. They wanted to divide people because they wanted more authority. And Jesus addresses this because he knows that the temptation for every follower of Jesus, for every Christian, is to do what they've seen or heard or experienced in the world around them. And Jesus confronts this and then he says these powerful words. He says, not so with you. Like you see how they get angry, not so with you. Do you see how they rage? Not so with you. Do you see how they define themselves by the status that they hold in the world? Not so with you. Do you see that they're trying to collect all sorts of things to hold in their hands and that is how they're going to determine their worth? Not so with you. Do you see how they're dividing against one another? Not so with you. Powerful words. Jesus is inviting us into something bigger and into something better. And then he talks about this bigger and better thing. He calls it the kingdom of God. And here's how he describes the kingdom of God. He says, what you see around you, you are not to do. Instead, listen to his words. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And there are a lot of reasons why I have chosen to follow Jesus, why he is the Lord of my life and why I've trusted my life to him. One of those big reasons is this, that Jesus has never asked me to do something that he hasn't done himself first. Because right after he says this, listen to how he describes himself. He says, the son of man, talking about himself, he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, this is how Jesus confronted division and how he chose to break the cycle of division through a life of humility through a life of serving those that maybe perhaps don't deserve to be served, especially by the God of all creation. Now I share all of that with you because it sets up this next moment in John chapter 13 and it helps us to understand just how extraordinary it is and how powerful it was for those first listeners and for those that were with Jesus at that time. John chapter 13, starting in verse one. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. So the Passover meal was a celebration of God rescuing the Jewish slaves from Egypt generations ago. But it's at this very meal that Jesus actually points the disciples to something bigger and better, that the cross was coming, that a death was gonna happen and then a resurrection was gonna take place and it was going to change the world. But it all had to start at this meal. And then 
John, because he's really good at giving us details, he gives us this little nugget. He says the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Judas was one of the followers of Jesus. He was a disciple. And he actually turns Jesus over to the authorities, which leads to his crucifixion. He's at this table. He's sitting with Jesus. He's a part of this celebration. And John throws that in there because he wants us to feel the tension. He wants us to experience the emotion. And he wants us to understand just how powerful what happens next, just how powerful it really is. And then we read this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Now, let's just pause for a moment. All of the power of creation is in the hands of Jesus in this moment. Which brings me to a really important question for you. What do you do with the power that is given to you? When you have power, when you have authority, when you're the boss, how do you use it? Do you use it to dominate and dismiss? Or do you use it to uplift and encourage? I have found that for a lot of us, power likes to corrupt us, right? And I've only learned this because I'm a dad. Years ago, when my oldest daughter was old enough to actually babysit our younger kids, that was a gift for my wife and I. We no longer had to find a babysitter. We no longer had to find somebody to come over and make sure the kids get to bed at the right time because now our oldest daughter, Abby, was able to watch the kids. And so we told her, you're in charge as we go out on a date. But little did I know that that announcement, that gift of power to my daughter would absolutely corrupt her because within five minutes of leaving the house, our younger kids are texting us, telling us that Abby is having them like make their beds and clean their rooms and do the dishes, all of the things that they are supposed to do within reason. And yet Abby's having them do that all that night. And so my wife had to call our daughter and tell her, listen, we have not made you the dictator. We've just given you the power to watch over them. So here's what we're asking you to do. We need them to be alive when we come home from our date tonight. <laughs> but this just corrupted her. And isn't it true that when power and authority is given to somebody, it's easy to cross the line of corruption? It's easy to use it to crush people? What do you do with all the power in your hands? Maybe not all the power of creation, but all of the power that you've been given, what do you do? How do you use it? Wanna know how Jesus used it? All of the power of creation with Judas, who was going to betray him in the room. Here's what Jesus did. He got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. All of the power of creation is in his hands and Jesus decided to choose humility and to serve those at the table. This is what he meant when he said, see what's happening around you? Not so with you. There is a better way, a different way. There is a kingdom of God way. What they saw around them was Rome grabbing for more power. 
But what they saw from Jesus was a servant choosing humility. And in Rome, humility was a tragic fall. But humility, according to Jesus, that's how you rise to true greatness. And he modeled that for them. And in this one act, as he washed the feet of the disciples with all of the power in his hands, instead of dividing them into social categories, your beard's too long, you talk too much, you're gonna betray me, you're gonna deny me, you're just annoying. (laughs) Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff. Instead, Jesus put everyone in one category. Priceless, valuable, you matter, you're loved. And not only that, but then he extends the invitation to have all of us be a part of one family, which is called the church. And the church is unified around one person. And that is not the communicator. That is not the speaker. That is not the pastor. That is not a board. That is not anybody that attends that church. The church is unified around the person and work of Jesus because he is God who has come and has died and resurrected from the grave. And he gave his life for us. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, takes the words of Jesus and helps us to apply it in real life. He put it this way, there is no Jew or Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, what he's not saying is that you can't celebrate your uniqueness. He's not saying that. God has made you unique. And so whatever skin color you have, whatever ethnicity you are, wherever you come from, God has created you and made you in a wonderful way. But what Paul is saying here is the greatest value of your life is that you are loved by the God who gave you life. This is what he's saying. Which by the way, can we go back for just a moment? And can we talk about that foot washing moment? Because that's weird. Let's just be honest. That's weird. If you saw somebody washing somebody's feet, you would pause and go, That's weird. And here's Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. So here's a bit of context. Everyone in that time, when you showed up to somebody's home, you would get your feet washed by a servant or a slave at the door. And the reason for that was because everybody wore leather sandals. Now, not fancy sandals like you have today. They're not wearing Crocs, okay? They're wearing this thin piece of layer at the bottom of their foot, and they have these straps of leather that goes over their foot. And if you've ever worn an enclosed sandal sandals with bare feet, you know that biblically, they stinketh, right? Like your feet stink when you're wearing those sandals. And they're walking on dirt roads, not paved roads. And so the reason why you would get your feet washed is because you would bring a stench and dirt into the home. This moment always reminds me of growing up and spending the night at my Nana and my Papa's house. It was my mom's mom and dad. And at the time there were like seven of us cousins and we were all boys. And so we loved getting together and spending the night and eating sugar cereals and drinking sweet tea because my Nana and Papa were from the South and we couldn't do that at our house. And I remember one night we were going to get ready to watch a movie. We're all laying in the room and my Nana walks in to start the movie and she pauses, she takes a breath and she goes, it smells like feet in here. And so before we could watch the movie, she made each of us boys put our feet in the bathtub and wash our feet because we stinketh, right? Now, for the record, I'm a frish, my brothers are frishes and frishes are clean boys. We shower at least twice a day. And even at that time we were showering at least twice a day. So we weren't the ones that stunk. It was my cousin, Eric. And yes, I'm throwing him under the bus. 
But I always remember that story when I think about this story. And I can imagine that maybe perhaps the slave or the servant, they felt the same way and experienced the same thing. It must have been really disgusting. The smell must have been really disgusting. But you know what else might have happened at that time? As they were washing the feet of whoever came into the house, they would be able to experience in a unique way where that person had been, where they'd come from, what journey they had been on. That's why after washing the feet of the disciples, Jesus gives this command. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I'm convinced that Jesus wasn't focused on the washing of the feet act alone. But I think Jesus is focused on something bigger and better. Jesus is inviting the first disciples to draw close to people because you can't get any closer than washing somebody's feet, right? And Jesus is inviting them to do the same thing for the world around them. And I don't think he's just speaking to the dude sitting around the table. I think he's speaking to you and to me. And that brings a question of like, what does that mean for us then? Because if he wants us to draw close, man, what does that look like for us? Have you ever drawn close? You ever felt the power of being around someone you love, you give them a hug, you feel the energy, you feel the excitement. Maybe you haven't seen them in a long time. Man, that's remarkable, right? You know what's even more remarkable? When two people draw close who were actually at odds with each other for a long time. When two enemies actually sit down at the same table. Isn't there a lot of emotion? Have you ever reconciled with somebody? And you talked about all of the things that you've been through and you had a moment where you're like, I didn't even know that you were upset about that. I didn't even know that I held that posture or said those words. I am so sorry. Or maybe they said to you, would you please forgive me? That's powerful, right? It's powerful because there's a lot of emotions and feelings involved. It's also powerful because we don't do it very often. We like to divide and stand against each other. Here's what I've learned about me and here's what I've learned about humanity. We are underformed in the practices of loving our enemies meaning that we have a lot of growing up to do when it comes to loving those that are hard to love. We're underformed in the practice of loving our enemies, but we're overstimulated by the act of protecting our opinions. We're better at telling people what we think instead of loving people like Jesus has loved us. So what if this is what Jesus is teaching us to do? Not wash feet, but to draw close. What if Jesus is modeling for us what it looks like to draw close? That Sometimes it's uncomfortable and inconvenient and maybe a bit awkward. But what if Jesus says, this is how you draw close and carry each other's burdens? Paul, I already mentioned him. He has some really great things to say about the way of Jesus. He puts all of this conversation this way. For in Christ Jesus, there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It has no value. Now, he's not talking about a surgery that young boys have when they're born. He's actually talking about a religious practice here. And he says, there is no religious practice that has eternal value. Instead, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. If you are a follower of Jesus, love will be the highest value that you hold. And love will be the greatest expression of your life. You know what love does? Draws close, it carries burdens, and it listens. And what we often do when there's things that could divide us, what we often do in our world, is we ignore it. Hey, don't talk about it. Or we just brush it to the side. 
Hey, don't bring that up. Don't talk about politics and religion at the Christmas table. Can you not do that? We just brush it to the side and we pretend that it's not there. Jesus didn't. When there was division, you know what Jesus did? He drew close. Even Judas, who was about to betray him, got his feet washed. Now, here's a modern day take on this idea. There's a man named Dr. John Perkins. He is a African-American man. And he actually writes about what carrying each other's burdens and washing feet or drawing close looks like for somebody who is from his background and somebody who is from my background, somebody who is dark colored skin and somebody like me who has light colored skin. He says, here's what modern day feet washing look like. The duty to carry each other's burdens takes on the added meaning in interracial community building. When a white brother comes into the community, he's bringing all of his teachings about superiority and all of his guilt that society has put on him. And I must be able and willing to absorb that if we are to be reconciled. And my white brother in the community must also recognize that I bring my history of being treated as inferior, of being told that I'm a nobody, And he must understand that I am trying to claim my worth as a person created in God's image. He must help bear the burden of all the bitterness and anger that grows out of my past. In other words, Tony says, you got to draw close. In other words, you got to be near. And you understand that there's a journey and there's a story and there are experiences that this person is bringing. And I have to understand that they're stories and experiences that they're bringing. And I'm going to listen and I'm going to serve and I'm going to affirm so that we can be unified, not for unity's sake, but for the kingdom of God's sake. That we unify around the person and work of Jesus. According to Jesus, we break the cycle of division when we draw close to each other. And I get that drawing close is uncomfortable and inconvenient, and maybe we're not sure what we do in those moments. So could I just give you three questions that you could ask of somebody that maybe you've stood against for weeks or months or years? Simple questions that you could ask that could help you to draw close. The first is this, hey, what don't I understand that you could help me understand? Because you don't understand everything and neither do I. And so why do they hold that posture or that perspective? Could I understand that? Could you help me understand that? Second question. What don't I know that you could help me know? Because I don't know everything and neither do you. And maybe there's something that they're wrestling with that we're not aware of. And that's why they hold the position they do. And then third question. What am I assuming that you could clarify? Because I know that I can assume things about you and you can assume things about me. But what if we could just get clarity. Listen, when there is uncertainty, we need clarity. And when we're uncertain about them, we should get clarity. These are the questions that we should ask each other. And these questions help us to draw close because friends, that's what followers of Jesus do. They love. And because they love, they listen. And because they listen, they have empathy and compassion. And because they have empathy and compassion, Jesus is honored in those relationships. So who do you need to draw close to? Who do you need to draw close to? Who in your world needs you to hold space for them?
At Active, we've created what we call connection groups. They actually launch today. You can sign up for them. You can go to our website, activechurches.com. There is a place for you to sign up. You can see all the groups that are available. Six expressions, six masterclasses, six workshops that will begin on the 24th, tomorrow night at 6.30 on our Yukaipa campus. And they're going to be awesome. They're going to be powerful. They're going to be a game changer for everybody. But here's what I know about me and I'm believing is true about you. We all hate division. We all want to draw close. We have really great intentions, but we never take great action. When you hear about the opportunity for connection groups, many of us will go, yeah, but I'm busy and I get it. You have a lot going on and I get it. All of those are excuses and reasons, and they might be legitimate for you not to join in. But listen, followers of Jesus draw close. Followers of Jesus draw close. And we have to create these connection group expressions because often we have these great intentions to draw close, but we never do. But what if we decided that we were going to collectively, together, draw close? This is why you should be a part of a connection group. There's six weeks, and at the end of six weeks, they're done. (laughs) And my guarantee to you is that you will find some friends for your faith. And you will be somebody that can say confidently and courageously, I'm breaking the cycle of division because I'm choosing to draw close. Because that's what followers of Jesus do. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, may we be people who choose to draw close, who humble ourselves before you and others so that we and others are lifted up. May you be honored. May you be the great unifier. May we prioritize your way and your word and your works in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Yukaipa. See you next time.